Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the twice-monthly Climate Report, broadcasting the first and third Tuesday of every month at 6.30 p.m., only here on KVMR. Today, we briefly review 2023 and touch on ways to make a huge climate difference with small food swaps, as well as more personal climate action inspirational readings. Let's start with this from The Guardian. Tailing at the end of last year, looking back, uh, they have a headline that says the world will look back at 2023 as the year humanity exposed its inability to tackle the climate crisis, according to scientists. Senior scientists have said the hottest year in recorded history cast doubts on humanity's ability to deal with the climate crisis of its own making. As historically high temperatures continued to be registered in many parts of the world, even in late December, the former NASA scientist James Hansen told The Guardian that 2023 would be remembered as the moment when failures became apparent. Hansen said, quote, when our children and grandchildren look back at the history of human-made climate change this year and next will be seen as the turning point at which the futility of governments in dealing with climate change was finally exposed. He said not only did governments fail to stem global warming, the rate of global warming actually accelerated. After what was probably the hottest July in 120,000 years, 120 millennia, Hansen, whose testimony to the U.S. Senate in 1988 is widely seen as the first high-profile revelation of global heating, he warned that the world was moving towards a new climate frontier with temperatures higher than at any point over the past million years. Now director of the climate program at Columbia University's Earth Institute in New York, Hansen said the best hope was for a generational shift of leadership. He said the bright side of this clear dichotomy is that young people may realize that they must take charge of their future. The turbulent status of today's politics may provide opportunity, he said. Driven by human-caused global heating in El Nino, the heat refused to relent last year. In November, there was an even greater anomaly, with two days on the calendar that were registered as being two degrees Celsius warmer than above the pre-industrial average. That's right. The Paris Agreement uh, was supposed to keep us below 1.5 and definitely keep us below 2. Last year, they recorded that we went past 1.5 and even flirted with two degrees. Hansen's comments are a reflection of the dismay among experts at the enormous gulf between scientific warnings and political action. It has taken almost three decades for world leaders to acknowledge that fossil fuels are even to blame for the climate crisis. Veteran climate watchers have been horrified at the recent pace of change. Professor Johann Rockström, the joint director of the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, in Germany, said that the climate year 2023 is nothing but shocking in terms of the strength of climate occurrences from heat waves, droughts, floods, and fires, to the rate of ice melt and temperature anomalies, particularly in the ocean. He said these new developments indicated the Earth was in uncharted territory and under siege. He continued, what we mean by this is that we may be seeing a shift in Earth's response to 250 years of escalated human pressures to a situation of payback where Earth starts sending invoices back to the thin layer on Earth where humans live in the form of off-the-charts extremes. 
five years on from, uh, he was one of the authors of a 2018 paper called Hot House Earth. And uh, five years on, he said that what disturbed him most in 2023 was the sharp increase in sea surface temperatures, which have been abrupt even for an El Nino year. He said, we do not understand why the ocean heat increase is so dramatic, and we do not know what the consequences are for the future. Are we seeing the first signs of a shift in state, or is it a freak outlier? Well, that's the oceans, and down at the South Pole in the Antarctic, scientists have also been perplexed and worried by the pace of change. The new Brazilian scientific module called Criosfera 2, it's a solar and wind-powered laboratory that collects meteorological information. And it measured the lowest extent of sea ice in the Antarctic region, both for the summer and the winter. Said Francisco Aquino, a professor of climatology and oceanography and the deputy director of Brazil's Polar and Climate Center, this environmental alert is a sign of ongoing global environmental changes and poses a daunting challenge for polar scientists to explain. He said this record record was a taste of what was to come as the world entered dangerous levels of warming. So this is already happening. The year's deadliest climate disaster was the flood in Libya that killed more than 11,000 people alone in one city. In a single day, Storm Daniel unleashed 200 times as much rain as usually falls on the city in the entire month of September. I'm going to read that again because numbers can just flow right through one ear and out the other. So we're familiar now with deluges and massive uh, rain events. And sometimes we'll hear stories like, in one day, it rained as much as it should the entire month. One day. It was a month's worth of rain in one day. No, no, no. That's not what they're saying. It was 200 times as much rain as usually falls in the city in the entire month of September. So you take the entire month of September, multiply it by 200, and that's how much rain fell in one day. Human-induced climate change made this situation up to 50 times more likely. And then for those who prefer to calculate catastrophe in economic terms instead of people, the U.S. last year broke its annual record of billion-dollar disasters, and it did so by August. Eight months through the year, we had blown through the previous record of billion-dollar disasters. By August of last year, there had already been 23 disasters of a billion dollars in damages or more over eight months. So that's about three every single month. That's almost one a week. Well, so again, in Antarctica, there was a headline that says red alert in Antarctica. Last year was the year that rapid dramatic change hit climate scientists like a punch in the guts. It says study after study showed the breakdown of climate systems taking place much earlier than foreseen with potentially catastrophic results. And we've talked about this before. It's, it's interesting when folks say that, you know, maybe the predictions from climate scientists are inaccurate. In actuality, they've been um, almost uncannily accurate, even going back to the 70s Exxon Zone scientists predicting what the rate of heat increase would be. But here's where we can actually say that there is some inaccuracy in what climate scientists predicted, because what they've predicted is happening sooner than expected. It's much worse than expected, and it's accelerating faster than expected. 
So it's not that they're off in the direction that's saying, oh, you're, you're making too much of a hue and cry about this. It's actually the, the devastating warnings they've been making. Scientists are now saying these things weren't supposed to be happening now. They were supposed to be happening in the middle of the century. And as a reminder, we're already halfway there. 2050 sure sounds like a far off distance in time. We're already halfway there. So it's just on the horizon. And for those that sometimes feel beleaguered and floored by um, news that reports on the magnitude of the shifts and changes that are happening, I wanted to read this piece. This was an opinion piece on mental health uh, written by Carly Dober, who's a psychologist living and working in Melbourne, Australia. And um, this is what she had to say last month. She says, as a psychologist, I have witnessed a surge in climate grief. This is what I tell my clients. And uh, the sub headline of this article says, bearing witness to the climate crisis can feel surreal. These strategies can help manage the feeling of despair. And as we've uh, said in previous reports here on the climate report, one of the best solutions and antidotes and, and medicines for climate doom and gloom and despair is taking action ourselves individually makes us feel good and uh, scientifically the research shows that it can help uh, alleviate the depression and anxiety that people feel around this subject so here's uh, what carly's opinion piece starts off with she says quote it sucks and it's only going to get worse my client says disbelief coloring their facial expression i'm inclined to agree it does suck I can feel my hands starting to get clammy as my memory flashes back to the catastrophic climate events I've watched unfold recently. Bearing witness to the climate crisis can feel surreal at times, yet I do not mention this to my client. I have a job to do, and it is not to escalate their rational anxieties and fears. It is to manage what is manageable, to teach coping strategies, to encourage connection to nature and social relationships, to channel their grief into sustainable action that feels meaningful. I work closely with adolescents and young adults, and I have witnessed yet again this summer an alarming surge in feelings of anger and despair over the climate. Again, this is being written by someone in Australia, so they're in the southern hemisphere. That means that uh, while we're in midwinter, they're in midsummer. She continues, the source of their distress is not a personal trauma or a fleeting setback. It is an existential threat that looms larger every passing day. I work within an eco-psychological framework in which human psychological interdependence with the rest of nature is a focus, along with the implications for identity, health, and well-being. What these young people deeply grasp is that humans are not separate from nature. We are nature. Watching the floods and fires unfold across various states in Australia has only deepened the anguish, for we understand that this is not just a temporary state, but a stark preview of the grim reality that awaits us for decades to come. As a psychologist, it is my duty to address the emotional toll this reality takes on my clients, but it is increasingly difficult to offer solace when confronted with a worsening crisis. The belief that things will not get better for many decades weighs heavily on the shoulders of young people who are inheriting a world vastly different to their parents and elders' 
What troubles me the most is the profound sense of climate anxiety and grief that has settled into the hearts and minds of the young people I work with due to feeling like the political class and other adults around them are failing them. This can result in sleepless nights, racing thoughts, rumination, and an inability to concentrate or focus. The concept of intergenerational theft and betrayal is a prevailing sentiment among the young people I support. The anger they feel is not just about the present catastrophes, but about the future they are being bequeathed, a world where the stability of life is threatened, where safety and stability are only available to a fraction of the world's inhabitants. So what can people do when they're overcome by climate grief? I constantly return to the message that there is so much beauty and life in the world that can be saved and is absolutely worth fighting for. I encourage people to curate their social media feeds and to seek out good news stories about the climate action around the world. I get them to envision a world that is fair, where everyone has enough resources to meet their needs. I ask them what they can do now to contribute to this world and ask them to move towards this. I talk to them about connection with like-minded peers and joining a local climate action group. I talk to them about nature-based therapies, hiking, swimming, listening and watching wildlife, attending beach cleanups and tree planting days. I talk to them about choosing financial institutions to bank with that rule to bank with that rule out funding fossil fuel projects. I encourage mindfulness, enjoying the present moment, working through their grief through art, and working through their stress, rage, and anxiety with movement. The research tells us that climate change will trigger and exacerbate mental illness. With young people and those from marginalized backgrounds being disproportionately impacted across their lifetimes. Life as we know it is becoming more unstable with each passing day. The climate crisis is not an isolated problem. It intertwines with every facet of human existence from food security and water availability to economic stability and mental well-being. As a psychologist, I grapple with the challenge of preparing the youth for a future that holds unprecedented challenges, a future shaped by a climate that continues to break down. That was a piece written by Carly Dober, a psychologist living and working in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like links to any of these articles, keep in mind that you can email me at climatereport at kvmr.org. We also have a Facebook page with daily postings of news media that is intended to help people feel positive, hopeful, and take action. So yeah, some of the things, common things that we heard from both James Hansen and uh, this person is uh, young people, the younger generations and how they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they're being left with and how they are being tasked with uh, helping to solve the future. Young people need uh, a lot of support in this realm. And again, I want to encourage listeners who care about the climate to continue to communicate and talk about it. Research shows that while two-thirds of Americans care deeply about the situation, it also shows that two-thirds of Americans rarely, if ever, talk about it. 
the research said that the other third of Americans talk about it often. So if one third is talking about it often and the other two thirds never talk about it at all, who's the other one third talking to? Themselves. And I see this often in local groups, action groups, committees, energy places. Um, everyone is, is digging their heels in and tossing around info in these insulated circles. Meanwhile, most of the adults never talk about it. And the children see that. And they believe we aren't paying attention. So find ways to talk about it in positive, hopeful ways. And here's a way to make a difference. This is from ABC News. And this is going to be like a broken record because another common theme amongst climate activists and energy activists is the sentiment that we're going to shop our way out of this. Just buy, buy, buy things, replace everything in your home, um, hire contractors, get incentives, spend tens of thousands of dollars. We're going to shop our way out of this, everybody. And in reality, technology, transportation, those types of things, those are only going to take care of part of the situation. Regular listeners to the Climate Report know that we read some research recently that showed if we don't address how we eat, we will still blow right past 1.5 degrees Celsius of heating. So one of the easiest things that we can do is mind what we're putting in our face, what we're saying, what we're eating, what's, what's coming in and out of us. And diet doesn't require financing, politicians, it doesn't require long-term strategies and tens of thousands of dollars. It mainly requires awareness. And research after research shows people do not need to wobble between extremes. We don't need to wobble between just eat whatever the heck you want, who cares, to, oh my gosh, I have to be absolutely vegan and just chew paper towels uh, soaked in grass. There is abundant evidence that shows small swaps can make a huge difference. So this is an article that says small, small swaps to climate-friendly diet can significantly reduce the carbon footprint as well as improve health. Regular listeners have heard me say this over and over again. One of the great things about all the solutions required to deal with this climate imbalance is most of them help us save money, make us happier, and make us healthier. Quite amazing. Food production and our food systems accounts for anywhere from 30 to 40% of our global problem. That's why it's so huge. Yes, we should pay attention to what we're driving, but we also need to pay attention to what we're driving into our face. So the article says, realistic, simple, did you hear that? Realistic, simple dietary swaps can help Americans make a difference in the country's carbon footprint, a new study found. If all consumers swapped their highest carbon food products for just lower carbon alternatives, things like swapping cow products for poultry just once a day. Models show it could reduce their personal dietary carbon footprint significantly, and the total dietary carbon footprint in the U.S. could be reduced by almost 40% and come with health benefits. Said Anna Grumman, assistant professor of pediatrics and health policy at the Stanford University School of Medicine and a lead author on the study, she said, we know that food production alone accounts for about 20% of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide, we found that making small changes in what we eat can substantially reduce carbon pollution and also make our diets healthier. The authors of the study, which was published in Nature Food, simulated the environmental and health impacts of simple dietary substitutions in more than 7,700 Americans. They identified commonly eaten foods with the highest carbon footprints in the diets of those people and modeled 
what would happen if they replaced them with nutritionally similar, similar lower emission options? They found that small swaps here and there could add up to a big difference. The study found that food swaps towards diets higher in fruits, vegetables, and legumes and lower in red and processed meats can reduce a person's carbon footprint. Specifically, swapping out beef for lower carbon footprint protein options like poultry or plant-based alternatives could lead to a more than 50% reduction in a person's daily carbon footprint. Just once a day, trading beef for chicken or plant-based protein. Half of their carbon footprint, poof, goes away. And swapping out cow's milk for plant-based milks could lead to an almost 10% reduction in a person's daily carbon footprint. She continued, uh, we modeled replacing one food with another similar food. So replacing a beef cheeseburger with a turkey cheeseburger or a beef burrito with a chicken burrito. So really trying to keep the swap similar. She said making those, we call them small changes or small swaps, can substantially reduce the carbon pollution from our food production. The carbon footprint for each food looked at its full life cycle, including the emissions from producing the food, transporting it, and eventually disposing of it. They said this allowed them to look not just at specific foods, but at mixed dishes like a pizza or lasagna. And of course, the idea that more sustainable eating choices can help curb climate change is not new. But this study shows the potential big impact of just small daily choices. Little tiny small daily choices are so cute. Of course, the ideal is to make this change all the time, but that's really hard, she said. Even making a change just once a day or once a week, that can still be beneficial. And the bonus here was the finding that these same swaps could also benefit health. The researchers used the Healthy Eating Index based on the USDA Dietary Guidelines to identify which foods were things people should eat more of, like fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, and eat less of, like high-salt, high-saturated-fat foods. It's a win-win. You can reduce environmental impact and improve your diet quality at the same time. So uh, the other thing that I'm going to mention is, you know, for some folks, uh, we're, we tend to overeat in America. We tend to overconsume, eat more than we're supposed to, and then waste it, which are two different things. So imagine they have a portion that's, that's way bigger than what you should eat, and you still eat most of it, more than you should eat, but there's some left and it just goes into the trash or the compost. Research continues to show that if people minded what we eat and how much we ate and the portions and kept them, uh, our eyes on waste, we would actually spend less at the grocery store, which then allows us to sometimes spend more for the better food. Because a lot of folks say, I can't afford better quality food. And oftentimes in America, it's because we're trained to overeat and waste and overbuy. So um, conserving food and minding waste can help subsidize making the right choice. So they uh, say that they're not modeling replacing all meat, just backing down from the heaviest hitters. Uh, red beef is one of the biggest. Okay, well, we're going to close with a couple more pages from the uh, 365 Days of Daily Personal Climate Inspiration. And um, hopefully one of these will resonate with you. Um, this page says, Earth, we're guests here. One of the more fascinating ways of thinking that needs to shift is the underlying notion that somehow we ourselves own and operate this planet. We, as in humanity, collectively. As if it's a machine we built and have the complete plans and owner's manual. It's important to remember that 
Number one, we didn't build it. Number two, we don't own it. And number three, we don't operate it. It was built before us. It came before us and will outlast us. It owns itself. It's not anyone's property. And we still don't even know exactly what most of it even is. And it operates itself. It has its own operating system called nature. We must work within Earth's operating system, which functions much like a computer OS. Our planet's nature OS is based on a closed loop of resources with no such thing as waste, with balance a key feature. Earth, we're all guests here. We didn't build it. We don't own it. We don't operate it. And there are cool clues everywhere about how it works. It's good to remember that we didn't build the planet, nor do we own it or operate it. And then here's a second one for you. Um, the next page is titled Crisis of Communication. This is from 365 Days of Personal Climate Action Inspiration, a page per day. And we're going to try and close every show with a couple of these uh, this year. Crisis of Communication. It says, while many believe the climate and environmental crisis is a crisis of technology and or money, studies have shown we currently have all the technology and money we need to begin solving the crisis today. This is not a crisis of technology, money, ideas, or solutions. It is a crisis of communication. A lot of concerned people feel like they're waiting for instructions from authorities from above, or waiting for someone else to do something big and magical, or for some special amazing technology to be invented, or for the world's obsessive hoarders of money to be more generous. Most of the forms of authoritative communication built in the 20th century help foster these notions of disempowerment in a sense that we're all waiting for someone else to do something. Radio, TV, movies, internet, news, politics. Advertising, corporate media, major politicians, and the spokespeople for all of them are where most people get information about the ongoing climate crisis. And most of those forms of communication are the direct arms of status quo business and industry based on concentrated extractive wealth. Ads, media, and politicians are mouthpieces of the status quo ruling class, representing the imbalanced systems that got us here. And they appear unable to rapidly transform into something other than what they are, extractive, damaging business models that tend to take more than they give. There is plenty of money, technology, and solutions. We need direct, honest, and accurate crisis-level communication, which advertising, media, and politicians are not trained to provide. They are highly trained to provide clever spin designed to achieve strategic goals for their narrow interest, which is primarily made up of maintaining their slice of power over society and how it thinks and maintaining all the systems that put them in those positions of power. Not all are 100% like this, but 100% are to some extent. The info we need is here and available. It needs to be shared as much as possible directly, especially person-to-person -person in local, uncommercial settings. So this page ends with today, if I feel helpless or hopeless, believing we need something we don't have yet, I will remind myself it is more direct communication we need 
And that is the crux of our crisis. Speaking of communication, last show, the first show in February, we interviewed Ian Thomas. He is the new intern we have for a year here at the Nevada County government level to help with climate change issues. And he and I have decided that the first show of each month, because we're on the first and third Tuesday of every month, the first Tuesday of every month, Ian's going to come in and give us an update on what's happening at the county government level. So look for that um, next month, the first Tuesday in March. Well, that's all for today's Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every first and third Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb, and as always, today's show will be archived and posted to the KVMR website's podcast page for sharing or re-listening. For questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org. 